1: Hey everyone, John Wirth, I'm here It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis channel Tennis podcast, the bad news is I have a bit of a cold, the far better news We have an in-studio guest this week Rowan Phillips, welcome And uh, we're okay. going to talk about your book Jamie Lasanti is here We're talking about the Portland Trailblazers But we're going, to, we're going to pivot to tennis You've written a book that came out, what, about two months ago now, right? Yeah, November last year. It's called The Circuit, and it's a terrific read about 2017 in pretty much men's tennis. I mean, there's some references to the women's game, but... um, Yeah, where the tournaments meet up,
0: uh, Indian Wells, for instance, Miami. Um, But it was proved to be too difficult to put the two together. They're almost like a double helix, where they separate and come together once in a while. Um, so I focused on the uh, ATP tour.
1: So the biggest you, you do these book you do these book readings and you do this publicity junket and the most trite question you always get is why did you want to write this book? Which I always feel like is is the the knee jerk first question when you're doing AM radio in uh, you know Mishawaka. But I also feel like That's there right. there actually is some real insight in that question. I mean we we know the uh, we know the who we know the when but. Uh, Start us off. I mean, you you could have written anything. You're you're a poet. You're an academic. You've written about a wide variety of topics. How did you end up in uh, this this crazy corner of the world?
0: Well, you know, um, I hurt myself. I in uh, 2016 mm. I was playing a charity basketball game for the National Book Foundation. tour my Achilles tendon. It was right around Wimbledon, which I was going to watch anyway. Um, but with the way that things happened in Wimbledon 2016, Federer literally falling on his face and then kind of choking away a match um, against Raunich, Serena losing to uh, Kerber in that mm-hmm. final, and then basically things working themselves out so that uh, Murray went on this incredible run through the end of the year to become number one. I found myself thinking that the start of 2017 was gonna be really, really, really interesting to think about. I had no idea what was gonna happen. As far as we knew, Federer, who had knee surgery, uh and was now ranked 17 right, exactly. was going to come into the Australian Open with the 17th seed which I, is I kind remember of like, it
1: was this might be his last prepare your farewell pieces that's, right, because, that's uh, right. this might be his last major Rafa uh Rafa lost convincingly to Luca
0: Pui at the US the Open bread. and then had uh needed to uh rest and recover and so at the start of 2017 he was ranked 9th um another minefield seed to go through a uh, a major in yeah. Murray finally was at the top of the game. It looked like you know it was going to be Murray versus Djokovic with Milos Raonic and Stan looking to kind of maybe out of nowhere finish the uh, the uh, his set of majors. And I just thought, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to watch the matches anyway because I always uh, watch the matches. I love tennis. I've always loved tennis, Um, and I wanted to start to think about. What happens when you start in January and take yourself all the way through? Because tennis is maybe the only sport I can really think of that starts January 1st and then it takes you through the year. It's literally a year. Right. And what a weird year 2017 was gonna be off the bat with everything going on off the court. And I was really curious about uh, the rhyme, if I could put it that way, the rhyme between uh, the world that we were kind of entering into in 2017 and this unknown world of tennis. Were we gonna start a, a new tennis life without Roger and Rafa? We're we gonna have to get used to Milos Raonic always being at the back end of tournaments? Or we're gonna be kind, <laughs> was the big story gonna be, can Stan win Wimbledon? Um, and so I started to write, um, you know, I write for the Paris Review, they're kind enough to let me uh, write on sports when I feel like it. And I was writing about the Australian Open and. And I found myself writing about Indian Wells and writing about Miami. And it was just this, this swell of a story that I felt building up. And it was, uh, it was a launch into the unknown. But it was a lot of fun. And I kept going. Uh, and this book, The Circuit, A uh, Tennis Odyssey, is uh, what came out of it. It's a, it's a book I love. I'm really proud of it. And I'm, I'm glad that you think so well of it.
1: It's a terrific book. And I think that, first of all, you, you avoid a lot of the traps. This is not a year-in-the-life type of book. Um, I mean, that's sort of the, the general conceit, but you, you do not do the typical sort of inside the season inside. No. I also want to go back to what you said before, because I think you captured so well in that Australian Open chapter. Um, there were world events that uh, contrasted strikingly with the action at that 2017 Australian Open. I don't know if people remember. It was so strange. But we were talking about this before. It was so strange no. being there that we had this regime change and we had – Donald Trump's inauguration was the same weekend as the final, and for for being there in person, I remember you're you're feel like you're a planet away. You've got Rafa, you've got Roger. No one expected to see them in this final, this resurgence. You had the Williams sisters. Similarly, right. I, I don't think anybody would have called that final. And tennis seemed to be at its most elevated. And I remember, you know, our social media feeds, which is how we usually track time these days, was half the virtue of tennis: Roger, Rafa, Venus, Serena, and then it was. Muslim bands and American lawyers flooding airports, and this Trump presidency is, is taking root, and it's immediately starting off as a jarring experience. You really captured the strangeness of that weekend, and I wondered what it was like having that unfold from You you were here when you wrote that. You, right. you were You were watching this uh, play out in real time. You knew immediately that there was some real narrative thrust here. That this was really uh, Sort of, this could be an anchor for a chapter.
0: Yeah, you know, in part because of the, the feeling you get amongst people. You know, when you watch the Australian Open, when you start, you've been starved for some tennis because, oh my goodness, it's been about two months without tennis. Imagine. Right. Um, the Australian Open is underway, and usually they're those diehards who are up at these strange hours if you're not there, and you're talking to tennis about them. But I found myself, John, finding people who normally didn't watch tennis also up at four in the morning, up at five in the morning, up at three in the morning, watching these matches, and not just the finals, but we're talking round of 32 and things like that, and it was clear to me that people were so unsettled, regardless of what side of the political spectrum they may have been on, they were so unsettled in the world, and tennis was becoming a type of therapy or partner through the darkness and through the the sunrises to kind of make sense of the world, Um, and it was a beautiful example, I think, of the way in which, people can get through things with tennis um, and the way in which also tennis, we like to think sometimes that it's played out in a bubble, but it's always like a Venn diagram touching the world. So we wanted to just celebrate the great surprise and, and tickle our nostalgia with a Roger and Rafa final, a Venus and Serena final, and that was there on the table, but at the same time...
1: Such a great way of framing it. Exactly. At the
0: same time you have the airport protest. The Roger Rafa final was the day of the airport protests. Um, And for me, that was a spur for thinking about um, the way in which tennis is and is not part of the world, the way in which tennis can be there for fanatics, but also people who aren't usually watching every match. It's there for them. And uh, the type of blurry-eyed commitment that people can make uh, to it. And even at the end of that great, great tournament, which was not only great, I I think, John, because of uh, the quality of play. I think sometimes in the finals, we lose sight of those great semifinals. Rafa and Dimitrov, Stan coming back from two sets down um, and playing five cents against Roger. It was a great tournament. The court was fast and always so vibrant and beautiful, the Melbourne courts. Um, And it was a real, for me, poignant kick off to what seemed like a story with great legs, kind of, what do we do now? What do right. we do in the world now, right? People are getting detained, who think that they're, they have uh, a green light, no pun intended, to enter a country, people being detained, and at the same time, the tennis panorama as we knew it, froze. What do we do? Because before right. Australia, everything seemed to be running along, um, fine, right? As we expected it to be, we had Doha with a final between Djokovic and Murray. Right. Uh, we have in
1: Brisbane... Which was supposed to be a precursor. This was the new rivalry, and exactly. this was going to take root.
0: In Brisbane, Dimitrov is kind of getting himself together. He's kind of dealing with the whole baby-fed thing. He wins that. He beats Nishikori. We have also Raunich and Stan in the semifinals of those. Okay, everything seems to be going the way we'd expect right. 2017 to go. And then 2017 just twists with the Australian Open, and also with the political and social situation. And for me, it's, there you go with the story, and
1: that's what started the no, Odyssey for me. No, I think that's me. such a smart, I mean, this, this capacity for surprise. We never thought we would see a president who was going to ban <laughs> one, one religion from, uh, from immigration and, and airport protests, and we never thought at some level that we were going to see another Rafa, Roger, Grand Slam final. Um what was it like? I mean, again, we we think about a season inside, and traditionally these books rest on, on a certain access. They're very sort of anecdote-driven and cult of personality-driven. You really resisted that. I mean, you, you write beautifully, you write fluidly about the sport itself Thank you. and the ball striking and the Thanks. stroking and where this fits into a larger mosaic. This is not a book about inside-the-locker-room anecdotes. No. And, and there and, I was. And, and gossip, yeah. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I looked over, and, and Novak Djokovic... Kissed his wife and whispered in her ear. I mean, this is not, um, you sort of, re- I, th- I think, admirably resisted that fly-on-the-wall urge, which I think is what we usually think of when we hear these seasoned inside books.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight
1: the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. What was it like, first of all, mediating a lot of this from getting us getting us through TV? I mean, a lot of us you were, you were watching from New York. Yeah. But also, did, did you have these sort of, uh, I don't want to call them temptations, but were there any instincts to... I want to really delve into Andy Murray. I mean, you, you keep this removed throughout the book, which I think shows a lot of discipline. Um, did you have a temptation to turn this into gossip and character studies and anecdotes you were picking up through the tennis transom? Uh,
0: mm, no, and I was, I was picking some up, but I wanted to be um, faithful to what I was doing and what I wanted to do which is really connect with spectators and think about this as a work of spectatorship, right? To think about, listen, all of you people who might read The Circuit of Tennis Odyssey, you watch a lot of these matches, like I do, from a distance where you're kind of putting together how you feel and what you know about a player from that distance. We're always mediating this type of distance. And I wanted to find the sweet spot there. I'm I'm fascinated by tennis fandom and the way in which um, it being, uh, when you play singles, it being kind of an individual sport, there's no helmet, there's no name on your back, but you just kind of see this person enduring whatever they're enduring, and you make sense of them, you love them, or you hate them from from that. And I wanted to, um, I wanted that to be the key signature of the, of the book, kind of like getting a sense of what it's really like to tell a story where what you have is a player playing, right? right? And that as a reader and as somebody who watches tennis, this is kind of like vibing with that sensibility, what it's like to be a spectator. Also, Access is um, a very kind of like leveraged chimera. That um, I'd love to talk about. You you don't do leveraged
1: writing. No,
0: no, I don't, and I don't. You know, um, I don't. I don't. I'm not interested in trafficking in um, a certain way of being on a beat. I want to tell a. I want to tell a story using the best faculties that I have, and to think about tennis like somebody in a seat thinking about tennis i mean you know i went to some tournaments like i always do um but i found myself thinking almost like a historian in the moment if you will um and i think it worked out better that way
1: what did you i mean i want to bring jamie in because i don't know people know that i am uh forever fascinated by jamie's arrival unlikely as it may be in tennis and i feel like it's something that should be I mean, if if I'm a tennis marketing type, I'm looking to replicate this. You have someone who's smart and tech-savvy in their 20s and five years ago. Can I say this, Jamie? Um, You know, uh, not by any stretch uh, a hardcore tennis fan, and she very quickly came to the sport and got it and has learned about the X's and O's but also learns about the personalities. And you and I can talk about, you know, does Thomas Burdick have another run in him? And you're completely conversant and you didn't grow up playing, you weren't someone who in, in high school was obsessing over this, you picked it up very quickly and didn't just pick up the facts, but really the vibe of tennis. What did you, I mean, you guys should both have access, but what did you learn about the tennis fandom and how, how is that different from what we were talking about before about being a, a Portland Trail Blazers fan?
2: Hmm. Well, I just want to say, I listening to you describe that was is basically how I wish I could describe it. I mean, you hit every nail on the head for me in terms of... I mean, I'm John gets to go to all the tournaments. He's there. He's sitting down with these players just like we're sitting next to each other right now. And, you know, it's a different type of access. It's a different type of viewpoint. And I'm always the one who's getting up in the middle of the night or, right. you know, watching on TV. Or, and I have one screen on my computer and one screen on my phone. I've got Twitter. I've got the TV broadcaster. So I really appreciate um, that viewpoint and, and kind of that outlook on the sport because it's really, I've, I've gone to, you know, I've been to the U S open. I was fortunate to, to go to Wimbledon. I you know, I've been to tournaments, but I think the majority of people who watch tennis and who are into the game don't get, you know, to be there. And everything you said about it being a singular sport that is so driven by personalities. Is also something that I, I told John the other day that we should start a movie company that only creates tennis movies based on real life tennis because it's so incredible. Like you cannot make the stuff up that happens in this sport.
1: Everyone's got a story. I've
0: got some stories for you. <laughs> um, well, that's also part of the story too, though. Like commitment, right? I mean, it's like I'm somebody who gets up with my two daughters and watches the Shanghai Open at some ungodly hour and that to me is part of the story sometimes about watching the shanghai open and having a six-year-old ask you why is it dark
1: right. <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. um you read about this though it's a great teaching device it is and you'll notice in australia that it's, you know, it's time differences and it's geography and yeah. culture or even in brisbane
0: right. everything is named basically after um tennyson you know, Tennis in and Idols of the King. So, you know, you start to think, oh, wait, everything that's kind of around the Brisbane Open is
1: actually also connected to poetry. Who knew? I did not know that. Yeah. Um, you also, I noticed, I mean, we we talked about this last week, that it's very easy to, I, I find, to become cynical. Um, some, I don't know, Jamie, I think you said this. It's Tennis, sometimes it runs counter to a growth mindset. And you love the players, you love the athlete's soul, but... It can become very frustrating to see how territorial and how self defeating tennis can be you I don't know if you, you consciously resisted that or just didn't strike you i mean it, you did not let cynicism seep into this account
0: well i'm I'm going to shock and perhaps terrify both of you, but I am the rarest of breeds. I'm a born and bred New Yorker who's a devout optimist,
1: <laughs> oh man, Deuce so, paying in
0: everything so <laughs> um i um I don't it's traffic. I, I don't I don't traffic in. Um, I don't traffic with kind of undigested cynicism. What's there to be cynical about? Um, I work on and and process, but I'm looking for um, how we are better, how we can be better, um, where tennis has the ability to make us think about what is possible and what is good but without being um naive about it what's what's great about tennis is if you really lean forward and pay attention you can see and it teaches you the way in which um influence plays itself out and the way in which players even negotiate the problems in front of them, and some of them are right in front of them. This slice is giving me a hard time because I have to bend down all the time and hit my two-handed backhand. Sasha Zeref, or <laughs> they are um, interior and you don't see them. My coach is really getting on my nerves. I wish they'd stop with all these hand signals. I don't need them. Right. Yeah, hey, you get rid of your coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Voila. Um, but those things get those things get worked out in the writing and thinking about the 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 story. I find tennis to be an incredibly, um, at its best, an incredibly freeing sport and a sport of possibility. The geometry doesn't change. If you play um, Bournemouth and then you go and play Barca, you're going to be playing on two completely different fields. But with tennis, aside from the surface difference, which isn't much of a difference anymore, the geometries don't change. So you see people trying to enact a type of kinetic problem solving, but within the same space. And I find that to be beautiful and heartening and ennobling, and I just I find there to be great generosity in the possibility of
1: the game. You could play it until you're 80 or 90. You could play it with your kids. That really comes No, you really found virtue in this sport that really, really came through. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, we we have this expression, "No cheering in the press box," uh-huh. but we also have this expression: "You you root for the stories," right? right. So there is. I think there's a, there's a lot of interest in Serena Williams, for example. Sure. I don't think necessarily it's because of fandom, but I think people recognize it's a great story. It's and if she story. were to tie Margaret Court and go on to set the all-time Grand Slam singles, that's a great story. So I think there, there's some partiality with story. In, in the TV world, candidly, uh, there's, there's an element of partiality with ratings. When, sure. When Plishkova beat Serena, there were some, some long faces uh, at ESPN because that had some commercial uh, ramifications. Did you approach this agnostically or were you found yourself, for the sake of your book, rooting for certain results? I was just – well, I if, – If Milos Raonic wins a, wins <laughs> a major in 2017 and, and you can't do the, the Rafa Raja resurgence theme um, – is that something that concerns you, or were you just going with whatever the results yielded, the results yielded?
0: Well, you know, we we were talking well before we got on, John, about um, a book and a writer we both admire, John McPhee's Levels sure. of the Game. And that has two main characters in it, one being the elegant and immortal Arthur
1: Ashe, and the other being the— How would you describe him? Chuck Cravener described his ex. What are your adjectives?
0: Uh— well, as I put it in the book, but in the opposite way, the Milos Raonic of his time. Um,
1: I, uh,
0: uh,
1: you know, I would consider him to be a patrician pragmatist. The yeah, uh, yeah no, there,
0: but, the the the, the guy in the story. I guess all right, the yeah, exactly. In no, the story. exactly. That's, that's a good way to put um, it. But but that's the that's the story, and I'm always interested in. The story, it, it, the expression, it is what it is. I live and die with that and try to figure out from there um, what this means what it, and what it can mean. I would find if Milos Raonic won all the majors in 2017...
1: You would have figured out what to say.
0: Well, I would have figured out what to say because um, that's what we do. I'm a writer first and foremost, um, and the game is always ready to give us a great story. Always. Um, I'm also, I don't, I don't have favorites. I'm a completely non-hierarchical uh, thinker. I don't have a favorite tennis player. I probably have great empathy for um, Stan Varenka and also for... Um, Why, Stan? Why? Um, Why? Um, because they remind me of myself. I take big whacks of the ball and some days I can hit with, I feel like, anyone. And some days, I just can't keep it in the court at all. And they seem to not be flummoxed by that. They understand themselves, which I think is really admirable. And what I lament in tennis is I think that you see a lot of players who haven't had an opportunity to really kind of like... Um, learn about themselves. Their parents are always hanging, hovering above them. Uh, Coaches who they're paying, but kind of micromanage their lives, are always hovering uh, around them. I think what you've seen with the renaissance of Djokovic is somebody who's kind of figured himself, this self, out. I find that to be really heartening. Um, And so it's not just that I see Stan or Petron, I think, well, I actually kind of like, yeah, that reminds me of myself,
1: but also just they seem like two people who, regardless of the result, they get themselves. Right. I would add that's probably a benefit to, we, we talk about the aging of the field yeah. and all the 30-somethings. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Know, know thyself. I mean, uh, when your career peaks at 24 and you burst on the scene as an 18-year-old, that's a much different life cycle than Djokovic, who in his early 30s probably knows himself awfully well at uh, – and it was rock pretty well at this point <laughs> well, oh right and then those the rest of the field uh quite quite well also you you had no burning desire to boy I'm I'm watching this guy I feel like I really know him I know his tendencies I would really like to get to know him I'd like to have a meal with David Goffan. I did did you find yourself wanting to I don't want to say break break that fourth wall but did you want to yeah, yeah. have a more intimate relationship with the people yeah you were
0: when I when I started to really kind of um settle into some are, some of these characters in particular. Yeah, I mean, Gofan is a is a real strong example and a good call. Um, and part of the reason for that, John, is because these, this is not a book that's just about um, Roger and Rafa. It's it follows players, the Degolpolov, for instance, right, and right. where he starts in Brisbane and where he's ending up at the end of the uh, end of the year. But in in writing mm-hmm. about characters throughout the year um, and seeing them succeed and fail and you, you find yourself thinking
1: what's I, up? But I, I, what's going on? But I, but I feel like that's certainly that would have been feasible if, if you had said boy I'd, I'd really like to sit down and learn more about Taylor Fritz. That that could have been arranged.
0: Well while that could have been arranged it I would have then had to kind of like reverse engineer some of the earlier work that I was doing and I really right, like right. I really the, the spur of the book was Australia and that Distance and kind of like creating communities because of that uh, distance and the oddness of the situation was the key signature of the book. And I wanted to pay homage to that. Hopefully I'll write another book. Um, I'm doing some digging now and some some other things um, uh, where that will be what's on the table. But for this, I think it's really important to um, pay homage to the mise-en-scene, right? To kind of like be in your key signature. And the key signature for this book was... This type of um, this type of relationship with the sport and with the athletes, seeing Goffin, um, you know, uh, break himself really sadly and unfortunately and accidentally at the French Open, right. um, I wanted to feel that melancholy from a distance. I didn't want to put a microphone in his in his face and ask him, "Oh, how you feel? Yeah, how do you also? feel?" Right. Because you know we've both interviewed players. How are you feeling? Not too good. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> you know? that, that question seldom gets the answer. I uh, hope it does. <laughs> so, so yeah. um There's a lot of there's a lot of kind of discipline, and I think kind of restraint. Also, it's it's kind of like a point conversation a right. little bit. Um, and you're I wanted to t- stick I mean, with that. You
1: and I think th- you demonstrated this in a hundred ways. It, you're with me on that. It, it's a great sport to write about, isn't it? <sighs> Actually, great sport to right about. I mean I, I feel like oh. part of me wants to shout this from the rooftops and part of me wants to keep this under my hat. I mean I just you go through the checklist of what it is we like when we tell stories and, and craft narratives. Oh yeah. And you know tension and shifting plots and I mean Shakespeare know, I mean, wrote I mean, just, about it for a reason. I mean,
0: Tolstoy played, you know, it, its it's um, one of those things it's the gift that uh keeps giving. I'm also I feel really fortunate that there have been so many great um books on tennis. Um before mine. I mean yours of course. Oh, but so you mentioned so many levels, wonderful you mentioned the debt we both owe to John game, McFa- Sure. I mean, you know, um but there's there's also this sense to me of um Newsflash. It's two thousand nineteen. There's so many um reported articles you know um investigative work done and really really fantastic stuff Uh, my book is a compliment or supplement to that right as well
1: um well and and there's a timelessness too i mean uh this this book is not going to go i'll tell you a funny digression we were thinking about writing about naomi osaka this week i was going through oh there was we did an interview with her coach and during the Australian Open, you're sort of looking at your notes, and then you realize one personnel move, and the story that you have cooking in your head is now completely obsolete. Yep. You, uh, this this book will stand the test of time. This will not be sort of subject to the the, the whims of, uh, of of results and personnel moves.
0: Well, from from your lips to who, whoever's ears. Jamie's. But that was yeah. That was that was the that was the intention. But also, honestly, to contribute there's it's such a great sport to write on as you as you say, and there's been really great writing about it that's been made, and that continues and will continue to be made and um you know, my book is a small grain of sand in that in that um sure, but i also I love the way in which tennis gets us to think about place right. gets us to think about gender,
1: gets us to think mm. about business personhood i mean there's there's a lot of yeah. um
0: well, and also even you know.
1: Uh, family and legacy and all this right. and well we were talking about democracy yeah that's um
0: right. which yeah. I hope we'll continue to talk about speaking
1: speaking of grains of sand uh I, I will we, we will link an essay that the um I don't know if it was was that an excerpt or a standalone essay on, on clay court tennis um, that's my grain of sand segue. the
0: the the thing about the birth of of, of clay court yeah, tennis exactly. that's an excerpt right. from the right. book yeah that's
1: an excerpt um you know I, I mean I think the people what what did you learn about the sport I'm more interested in you (laughs) but what what did you learn about yourself with this project
0: you know what no one has asked me that um well you know coming full circle in this conversation I had um, completely severed my Achilles tendon it was the first big injury that I'd ever had in my life Um, and I was also writing this book as I was rehabbing as I was getting better um what I learned about myself um Because I love this game even more than I thought I did. This is the game. Oh, this book made (laughs) me realize things. Like, this is the game that I would sit with my family and watch. We weren't a family. We're, we're, We're a close family in the way that, you know, a family's close. But we wouldn't, we don't huddle around together and do stuff. John, we huddled around and watched tennis from the 70s. On. You know, my folks are, are immigrants from Antigua, and, and they, they gave me tennis from a young age, and I had really forgotten about that. I'd forgotten my, my dad. Um, yeah, you know, tennis was the conduit through which I really kind of like fostered a particular and enthusiastic relationship with my parents. I don't know why or how I'd forgotten about that, um, but I'm grateful for that because it's kind of, in writing the book, I also came to realize and remember what a place that tennis had always had in my life and that now as a father of two young kids that um, I'm not gonna have them hitting forehands and backhands at five in the morning, um, but I love to see them interact with the game and the personalities and who they seem to have an affinity um, for That's and it's
1: why. Right, there's character revelation yeah. and who you root for. Um, pa- pass, that, pass that gift on.
2: Yeah. I- I wanted to add something on that. I read uh, in, in January, I guess, you did a and a uh, with Deadspin. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I noticed in the Q&A was when they asked you about how you were drawn to the game growing up, you did mention your father and family and how all of that played a role. But the one thing you did mention was that, um, you know, he called you one day and told you to turn on the TV because someone was on the TV reading or I guess, yeah, reading a poem oh, about Jamie. an original
0: oh, poem. Oh, <laughs> That's right. And guess who that was? Oh, I thought
2: Jamie. that was really cool. And other really, than John really have
0: it was it was a it was a, mar- it was a marvelous moment. And I'm so glad you, you bring that up, Jamie, because this my father does not text me to tell me to do things, right? And my father doesn't really text me. <laughs> but my father texted me and said, turn on the TV. And I knew there wasn't a match on. So I'm like, why is my father telling me to turn on the TV? Mm. To, to the, actually, there was John reading an original poem. Yeah. And that was actually the only time my father, and my folks have always been supportive of my writing, but that's the only time my father's ever said anything to me about poetry.
2: Oh, ever, man. Okay. Tennis, look at that. You're making me uh, We're
0: going to dig, we're gonna dig, we're gonna have to dig that up. Can we outro with, no. with John's poem? <laughs> come on. I'm going to see if I
2: can
1: um, find it right wait, now. Wait, I would just, keep... do you remember what, that? What, what tournament was it? Vaguely, it was Wimbledon. It was Wimbledon. It was Wimbledon. Okay. How cool is Tennis Channel? for allowing uh, oh, yeah. someone to do tennis poetry on the air. Oh, yeah, you know, your it? father
0: sends you a text saying, turn on the tennis turn on tennis candle. I'm thinking, well, I usually have tennis candle on, but I don't have it on right now. There's not a match on. And then there's John oh, reading geez. a poem. All right, you're making me... Um, and I love that. <clears throat> but yeah, that's what I got out of the book, all of these ways in which... Um, tennis wasn't a contact high for me because I wrote this book. It wasn't John. Well, this seems interesting. Let me write about it. But it was kind of almost like that Madeleine that... Um, Proust get yeah, right. into uh, yeah, 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 and, and sent me back to who I was and had been but also forward into who I hope um, I can be I, I love this game I, I play it at least once um, a week um, sometimes I'm fortunate enough to play it more often than that um, but it's um, it's here it's in me and I feel like I have more stories to tell in different registers different key signatures um
1: and I'm here for that. I'm, I'm so heartened to hear that. We got, we we want you to stay in this uh, in, in this ecosystem. Like I said, it's fine. I mean, I think the statute of limitations is probably lapsed. John Feinstein wrote a book on tennis. I think in the early '90s, and it was more conventional. Season inside mm. and behind the curtain, and what I witnessed. And apparently said I did. I did a golf book, and all I wanted to do was when was my next golf book. And I did a tennis book. I spent a year in tennis, and I said, God damn it, I never want to go to another <laughs> tennis match again. Um, You don't, you did not emerge with that sensibility. You, you, no. Your passion for tennis only intensified after this.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, because I also, um, what I had never actually done was think about it as a year. I never kind of like, you know, you watch the matches, um, but I hadn't thought about kind of um, being encapsulated in a year. But a year is how we all, define ourselves right sure. i am x years old this year i'm going to do this we make resolutions and everything like that and
1: and um You're okay with, you okay with you didn't find that artificial you were okay with that
0: well it's not artificial because it, it's just that we, we we don't tend to think about tennis tennis is the one major sport we don't tend to think about in terms of seasons we think in, in terms of tournaments and majors right. and everything but um we know which players had certain great seasons but um no, I'm, I'm, I'm,
1: no I'm, I'm just thinking I'm because heartened. of, uh, you know, we have these years and Djokovic and Murray receded in 2017, but look at where Djokovic is now and you sort of say, well, what's what's January to December really mean if we're laying this out as, as sort of a Mobius strip of his career? Well, yeah. Um, so I wanted to, uh, I was going to say, usually Jamie and I sort of catch up on uh, news and notes after uh-huh. our half hour, which we've hit. Um, but I want to keep you keep you in for this because I, I do think potentially there's some transition here, potentially not. Mm-hmm. Um, Happy J- to. Jamie, you jump in here too. But big big story this week, obviously, was Naomi Osaka parting ways with uh, her coach, Sha- oh, Sasha yeah. Baein. Um, oh yeah. G- given what you observed about the tennis player and the tennis player's heart and soul, writing this book, um, does that at all shade this? news item that um, seems to have taken a lot of people by surprise? Yeah, do you have in, do you have insight not on the specifics of this breakup, but on the insight of what would have caused a move like that that seems counterintuitive to the casual fan, have, having looked so closely at this breed of cat we call tennis player?
0: Well, yeah, you know, um, in writing the book, the book is structured, even though it's a year, it's, it's structured in terms of quartet, right? right? The four seasons, um, winter, spring, summer, fall, which are the four seasons. Um, but so it also gives a a player constantly an ability to reset, right? You reset after the Australian Open, you reset after the Sunshine Double, you reset when the surfaces change, um, but you also reset point to point. And I think that it's more natural than the common um, or casual fan might think. For a player, um, if they're not burdened by being told what to do, to think about resetting, to restart, because they're constantly, the most, the most kind of like exaggerated version of it is Sharapova turning her back and, and looking at her strings. Right. But I take that all as kind of uh, a physical metaphor for this idea of kind of like, all right, let me clear my head. Let me take inventory of what's going on and what am I going right, to do right. next. And I think that when you see Naomi Osaka... Oh,
1: it's Control-Alt-Delete.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that players, particularly at that level, you can't not split-step. Right? You can see club players not right. do that. Right. But but the pros and the better you are, the more that you do it. There's some matches, particularly with Federer and Djokovic, where I just watch their feet. Um, because that's where the story is. And I think that, yeah, with, with Naomi, you put it so well um, in the mailbag, this is not really surprising if you kind of step back and look at the panorama and what happens. Um, but my thought is just that, yeah, I'm not surprised to see a, a player... Um, after they've had... See, the second major, I think, is fascinating um, because it is consolidation, right? Right. And so the, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened, is is over, and with, with Naomi, especially with the first major and everything that I was, happened. I was going to say, I
1: mean, this, this has a, a whole other layer to add to that. Yeah.
0: Which actually, oh, man, I'm having so much fun in this conversation. It's making me wonder... If Naomi won cleanly with all without all exactly. the pyrotechnics yep. at the US Open last year would he have experience, yep. yeah but Very also would me. he have made that change then
1: Oh I oh, made the uh, yeah that's interesting you know right
0: um, but I'm not I'm not surprised at all when, when, a, when a tennis player kind of um, yeah all deletes I'll, I mean I'll ever
1: I'll add something too and Jamie, I want you to jump in here. As well, Because I think, first of all, casual sports fans, I don't understand. It's like the Patriots firing Belichick. You're riding high. This is not a conventional coach, team type of dynamic. Not at all. Uh, Part of it is financial. Mm. It's the player that's paying. Part of it is it's an individual sport. And I think we also forget just the personality of this. I I don't – this is in no way to condemn. But uh, I was going to DM – Sasha and sort of see if there was anything he wanted to add. And I look at his Twitter profile and he's topless and God bless him. We make no judgments. We, we all have our own aesthetics, mm-hmm. but I'm also thinking about Naomi Osaka and sort of what I've come to to know about her and spending a, a bit of time around her and what she's trying to project and their culture and sponsors. And I'm thinking that's sort of a strange combination. And I wonder if that picture of a guy topless on his Twitter bio doesn't actually give us some insight that you forget that there is really a personality matchup that's got to exist here and some of this is about imparting wisdom and she's kicking her serve out wide when she's serving to the deuce court and some of this is just about a normal relationship and if values and sensibilities and priorities are not aligned it's very easy to see how that player coach relationship could go Sideways. do I think she fired him because the, I think this relationship doesn't exist anymore because of a topless photo no but it did I did see that image and it got me thinking that a lot goes into this relationship and a lot has to be right for this relationship to be right um, I mean I don't J- Jamie jump in here when you um, w- when that tweet from Naomi Osaka sort of came up on your feed uh, what, what was your response
2: tennis such a cold sport it really is no I its it is. It's surprising and not surprising, I think, as you said, pe- for people outside of tennis. They look at this and they go, oh, my gosh, we make a huge deal. We we call it, you know, we have a whole day in the NFL where all the coaches get fired and we, we really, like, Black Monday. talk right. about all of this stuff. Um, you know, people lose their jobs in sports often, and it's, it's really a huge storyline. And this was in the same way. A huge storyline but for very different reasons i i am with you on the relationship aspect of it i think that's what makes the coach player relationship in tennis in particular very unique because um you know nowhere else is your coach traveling with you and only you you know you 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 know, Steve Kerr is traveling with the Warriors, but he's got his own family right. and his own thing. Well, I, and the
1: owners are paying Steve Kerr and not Steph Curry.
2: Right. But in this relationship, it is one-on-one. It's the one person that you're you're turning to for, you know, tactics but also training. And, you know, they're, you're probably eating dinner when you land and wherever you're landing. And so there's right. a lot more to the relationship there that I think is to your point that um, – you know, it's it's very very different than what we think of the coaching relationship. I think, I think in keep other in sports. mind
1: too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I think some of this too is about tennis, especially and everything that is freighted on a player. People said she did so well under him. Under him, and I wonder yes. if she isn't saying under him.
2: Yep. Right. That's well, my ass out there hitting that. It's a completely different fit. definition of what a coach is. Right. And I, I, the other thing too, I think, what people and this was something coming into tennis that I had to really understand is. The coach, the hitting partner, the all of these different th- people that are on your quote unquote team that are very integral because at the end of the day you can't play tennis with yourself really you know you have to have someone there yep. to pr- players practice with other players before tournaments I mean there's so many things about tennis in in terms of um, practice and preparation that are so different from other sports um, that I think really play into the dynamic of something like this happening
0: i also wonder because a major has just ended and we don't have another one obviously until we get to Roland Garros. But there's also this thing because we're talking about a wta player and the coach and the coach at all the non-majors having the ability if i'm doing air quotes forgive me <laughs> listeners <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> if the player so requests it the coach then will come down for to to give counsel and everything like that and could naomi have been thinking I don't want to be in Indian Wells or Miami or or in Rome and right. be in a bad rut and have my coach suggesting to come down. I want to see if I can kind of figure this stuff out myself. Um, what was that quote that... That uh, you gave us back that Naomi said about the the message that what did what did Sasha tell you Oh yeah, yeah you right. she said
2: I didn't talk to him basically right. that's right. what she said
0: right. So so maybe also you know between the majors when and Na- Naomi is like Petra and like Stan a little bit she will have those tournaments right. where it's just kind of like you know Poor. It's, not, it's, not, yeah, it's, not, right. it's not it's not it's not it's not it's not fine
2: tuned Right well it's but, like we have people who coaches who come on as Pure, oh, we're just gonna we're just gonna have a relationship for this tournament, you know. Djokovic has Agassi sitting on his bench, you know. There's things like oh, that that right. happen in tennis that is like, well, let me—it's crazy.
1: Um, I'm I'm staring at uh, I'm staring at Rowan's book, and I'm thinking, imagine if your editor had his own Twitter account, and you're thinking like, that's my ass that's writing that book. I'm the one missing my kids' t-ball games, and sure. I'm the one that's staying up and your coach is holding press conferences, and here's what I told Rowan, and Rowan is a good learner, and under my tutelage, Rowan has really upped his game. And on the one hand, you're thankful for your editor. Your editor no doubt improved your copy. It's an intense relationship. But I wonder if there also isn't, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm the one who's bleeding ink here, and you're holding your own press conference. You've got your own Twitter feed because of my book. Well, and you're paying for that it would be also i'm yeah, then right. paying yeah, also yeah, exactly. my <laughs> my right. editor right but which, on the
2: flip side which i'm not by the way are you gonna are you gonna write the book without your editor you know are are you are you just gonna ban all editors right. for the so
1: yeah exactly know. no i mean I, I think that's a real actually we, we can keep going with this analogy that's a really good point too i mean i i don't know if i mean you saw Holop i might try to go this alone and by the end of the australian open she was already right. talking right. to other coaches so um i think it'll be really interesting to see what Naomi Osaka does next, I think she is sort of a fascinating character anyway. Oh so fascinating. Um well, I what, also what think the, keep going there. What what fascinates you?
0: Well I'll t- I'll tell you what, the 2016 US Open match against Maddie Keys, mm-hmm. I think about that all the time when I think about Naomi Osaka. All the time. Um because Which is the that narrative. she lost in a yeah, set breaker. She she yeah, she lost she lost a, a match that she she had in the third set. Right. Yeah. It was it was easier to to win than to lose, um, and the narrative, of course, you know, Maddie Keys was um, and still is um, one of the. Yeah,
2: it's an incredible split that narrative. Right. Thinking yeah. back, yeah. but that, that point moment, now. well, this is why right.
0: these these are the things that spur me to uh, write. Though I didn't, I didn't write on, on that. I was very, very much uh, starting my recovery from the Achilles tear. But the narrative at that point was Maddie Keys was destined to win multiple slams. She right. was the
1: next big thing. Naomi Osaka was somebody who, who is, who is this Real wild child was sort of the rap. She could yeah. hit the hell out of the ball, but still hadn't quite figured out how to win. But,
0: but also there was the, um, sense that, well, she did win, but think about how much money she got, which is going to, for, you know, for getting this far, which is going to kind of really consolidate her opportunity to kind of like, you know, be around in some tournaments and get the coaching and training and da 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 da. Um, and that changed, uh, took a while but you know the narrative is has turned itself not only on its head but i i wonder i wonder how much naomi thinks back to that moment as well i'm fascinated by thinking about what um what players harken back to um when it's time to think about moving forward
1: right and i i always find that um they're very reluctant to talk about this, and it's a lot about short-term memory loss and flushing the bad losses, and then you talk to them later on in their careers, certainly after their careers, and they remember these inflection points, and they have vivid memories of this match on a Tuesday in Cincinnati sent me in a tailspin, and they're very reluctant to discuss them in the present, but when they take inventory of their career, there's no doubt that 10 years from now, Naomi Osaka will be giving chapter and verse on that Madison Keys match. Mm. Um, this was great. This was, uh, just a, a, I just want to say how heartening it is to see someone spend time in tennis and have it not deplete their passion at all. Quite the opposite. No, you, man, you I, boring, it to win. So yeah, I was going to say you're, uh, um, it's a terrific book. It's a different Thank book. You. It's poetic. Um, again, I mean, I think this year inside in sports, we talked about Breaks of the game, the great David Halverston book from the seventies. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. Th- this has become a whole genre. Technically, this is a year in a sport, but this is not. Um, this is a unique book.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I, mean, I love it. And I,
1: I mean that. In the, yeah, exactly. I mean that in the most flattering way.
0: <laughs> I, I, I I love being here, uh, John Jamie. Thanks so much. Um, thanks to Frost, grouse Drew for publishing the Circuit of Tennis Odyssey.
1: Now um, that we've disparaged uh, th- this sort of uh, abstract editor. <laughs> well, well I'm actually honored like it's the same well.
0: publisher as, it's the same Ooh. publisher's levels of the we game. We use this so editor kind of as a full
1: hypothetical. Full uh, why don't you give your editor a shout-out? No, Jonathan to Galassi, president and publisher of FSG. He's
0: okay. He he got it. Um,
2: Go check his Twitter account right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Jonathan <laughs> Galassi on Twitter would
0: be funny. Is he showing his ads? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really thrilled that we had this conversation and really thrilled that you think so highly of the book. I obviously
1: think highly of all the work you've done and um, hopefully we can collaborate some in the future. I would love that. And we'll rope Jamie in too because Jamie's terrific. Thanks Amen. so much. <laughs>
2: I, I can't wait to read it. I'm, Thanks, uh, I'm really excited.
1: Alright, that does it for this week. Uh, that was great fun. really enjoyed that. Thanks, Rowan. Thanks, Jamie. We will link to the circuit um, on our page. We will... Do you like an Amazon link? I don't know how we about. Uh, we'll do a Powell's book link as well for the good PDX, folks in, uh, City. in in the five hundred three area code. Love um, you, Portland. We will. Uh, we may well have another in studio guest next week. Um, but I'm glad we did this. This was uh, this was good fun, and uh, I hope people enjoyed that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Keep the guest suggestions coming. Subscribe. Write a review. Compliment us on our uh, outstanding audio quality this week.
0: Feel better, John.
1: No, we're fine. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.